Chapter Six, Part One of All in the Day's Work by Ida Tarbell. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. I fall in love. Falling in love with Paris at first sight, a coup de feu it was in no way dimmed the energy and the care with which on the day of my arrival i began to put into operation the cautious and laborious plan for self-support i had brought along it rather intensified it as i must begin at the bottom to build up contacts with strangers on the other side of the ocean and as there was but one hundred and fifty dollars in my pocket there was no time to waste in the ten years i had been trying to support myself i had learned that the art of spending money is quite as important in a sound financial program as the art of earning it i had been going on the theory as i still am practice is another story that what i earned must cover my expenses and leave a surplus for emergencies and expansion i had applied my principles to my small salary on the chautauquan never over one hundred dollars a month well enough to get myself to paris and have this little reserve to care for myself while i was proving or disproving that i could convince a few american editors whom i had never seen that my goods were worth buying the first step obviously in carrying out my programme was cheap living luckily for me two of my associates on the chautauquan excited by my undertaking had decided to join me one josephine henderson was a friend of titusville days and like myself a graduate of allegheny college joe as we called her was a handsome woman with a humorous look on life healthy for me i have never had a friend who judged my balloons more shrewdly or pricked them so painlessly with us was a beautiful girl mary henry the daughter of one of the militant w c t u workers of that day a neighbor and a friend as well as a co-worker of the great temperance leader francis willard at the steamer a friend of mary's appeared announcing that she too was going along this meant four of us to share rent and food back in titusville i had picked on the latin quarter as at once the cheapest and the most practical place in paris for one to live who must go on the cheap then too the university was in the latin quarter and we were all planning to take lectures i was even flirting with the idea that i might find time to take a degree so on arrival putting our bags in the little room of the cheap hotel on the right bank to which we had gone we headed at once for the latin quarter i had picked on the neighbourhood where i wanted to settle near the musee de cluny not that i knew a thing about the musee or what was in it simply cluny was one of the words that had always pulled me this magic was largely responsible for our settling in the rue de sommerard almost next door to the spot in the city which save one was to have the greatest fascination as well as the deepest consolation for me but finding these quarters was no easy task my friends gulped as i did at the stuffiness the dinginess the primitive sanitation the obvious fleas and the suspicion of other unmentionable pests in the places at which we looked but settle i would and so with groans they consented finally to the taking of two tiny bedrooms a salon along with the use of a kitchenette in one of the four apartments controlled by a madame bonnet our selection was not as unwise as it looked at the moment 
indeed as it turned out madame bonnet remained my landlady throughout the coming three years as quickly as we had found our lodging we established relations with the little shops in the neighbourhood where one could for a few sous buy all the makings of a meal you bought exactly what you needed and no more a single egg one roll or croissant a gill of milk two cups apiece of cafe au lait never having a drop left in the pot brought up as we had all been at loaded tables the close calculation shocked us at first as something mean stingy why the very scraps from a meal at home would feed us here and that was true more shame to our bringing up but we learned to buy as our thrifty neighbors did and to like it and we learned how to order at the cheap and orderly little restaurants of the quarter so as to get a sufficient meal of really excellent food for a franc then nineteen cents or as we carelessly reckoned it twenty one hundred centimes to a franc only on grand occasions did we allow ourselves two francs the pleasantest and most profitable part of the experience was the acquaintances we made with the women who kept the little shops the little restaurants as soon as they were convinced of our financial responsibility and our social seriousness they became friendly a friendliness not based on the few sous we were spending so carefully but on interest and curiosity we were new types to them but once convinced we were what we pretended to be they treated us with a deference quite different from the noisy greetings they gave the people of the neighbourhood or their rather contemptuous familiarity with the occasional cocotte who strayed in that is we were very soon placed by the shopkeepers of the vicinity it was my first lesson in the skill almost artistry with which all classes of the french people classify those with whom they are thrown in contact notably foreigners later i was to observe this in the more highly developed classes where i established professional relationship i was a stranger seeking information an american journalist a student so i told them but what kind of person was i what was there in me they could tie to depend upon obviously i was not rich if i had been there would have been quickly gathered around me a group to offer entertainment as well as treasures to buy but it was clear i had little money so that was out of the question there are other things by which the french label you a woman particularly charm beauty chic l'esprit seriousness capacity to work intelligence bonté those with whom i had dealings for any length of time hit perfectly on my chief asset i was a worker a femme travailleuse they said to one another and if they passed me to an acquaintance that was the recommendation no people believe more than the french in the value and dignity in hard work i was treated with respect because of my working quality it was not saying that i should not have gone farther and faster if i had been a beauty if i had had what they called charm and the fine secret of using it but they were willing to take me for what i had being a worker the chances were i was serious i might or might not prove intelligent but here they gave me the benefit of the doubt and waited for a final answer that which they were slowest in making up their minds about was goodness bonté they were not willing to accept anything but natural unconscious goodness 
and it takes time to make sure about that while we were finding our way about i was at work if i did not have the documents to prove it i would not believe to-day that just a week after arriving and in spite of the excitement and fatigue of settling i had written and mailed two newspaper articles enamoured as i was of the city no work could have been more satisfying than that i had laid out for myself my little self-directed syndicate concerned itself with the practical everyday life of the city one is always keen to know all the common things about the thing or person one loves how did paris keep herself so clean what did she eat and drink and where did she get it how much did it cost her where did she go for fun how did she manage it that even her very poor seemed to know how to amuse themselves that her beggars were a recognized institution there were a multitude of things i thirsted to know about her and if i could get my bread and butter in finding out what luck what luck at once i became an omnivorous reader of the newspapers and found to my joy that many of them felt as i did about the parisian scene they carried paragraphs as captivating as those that our new yorker unearths for its fascinating editorial department on the city to which it belongs another discovery which surprised me was that my best source for illustration was the illustrated catalogues of the french salons of recent years i wanted pictures of markets of rivers of beggars of marriages of all the things that people were doing as they went about their business and what rejoiced me was that many french artists seemed to love the streets and what went on there in much the same way that i did they loved to see paris at her daily toil meeting her daily problems and every year they turned out pictures showing her at it later i was to discover that this daily life of the parisians of different classes has always been material for able artists the best illustrations i found for my madame roland in her youth were those of chardin in the louvre my manner of living the contacts and circumstances attending the gathering of my material for my newspaper articles brought me for the first time in my life into daily relations with that greatest segment of every country's population those whom we call the poor and of whom if we are well-to-do or if we are rich we are so curiously unconscious i had belonged in all my conscious life to the well-to-do those who spent a dollar without seriously weighing it society had seemed to me to be chiefly made up of such people of course there were the rich but they were so few in number as to be negligible at least they had never counted in my life nor had the poor counted as a permanent class i had the american notion that the chief economic duty of the poor was to become well-to-do the laborer the clerk the man who worked for others should save his money put it into the business or start out for himself no matter how hard how meagre the return dignity and success lay in being your own master owning your own home i am sure my father would rather have grubbed cornmeal and bacon from a piece of stony land which was his own than have had all the luxuries on a salary one of his complaints against the great oil trust was that it was turning the men of the oil region into hired men mighty prosperous hired men some of them but nevertheless taking orders even orders as to what to say for whom to vote 
to his way of thinking this was a failure for an american i suspect his philosophy working in me was at least partially responsible for my revolt against the kind of security i had achieved on the chautauquan i was a hired girl but in the society where i found myself in paris there was no such contempt for the fixed job on the contrary it was something for which you were responsible to which you owed an obligation serious workers in paris seemed to me to give to the job the same kind of loyalty that serious men and women in america gave to the businesses they owned you respected yourself and were respected in proportion to your fidelity to it you might be advanced but more probably not opportunity did not grow on every bush as at home and if it came a frenchman's way he waited at home you seized it trusting to luck here luck seemed to me to have little or no standing in a business enterprise big as it counted in the lotteries in which everybody took part to my surprise i found these people working so busily and constantly were not restless like the americans nor were they generally envious i had a feeling that my concierge who had never been across the seine to the right bank who lived in a room almost filled by her huge bed and its great feather puffs who must have looked long at a sou before she spent it would not have changed places with anybody in paris were not the lodgers on whom she kept so strict a watch kind generous and regular with fees had she not friends in the street might she not win a slice of fortune one day from the fraction of a lottery ticket which she annually found a way to buy and who had so magnificent a cat the pride of the house what more could she ask certainly there was more interest in the tasks less restlessness less envy than in the same class in america was it my father's philosophy which made the difference was it your duty if you were poor to struggle to be well-to-do and if well-to-do to struggle to be rich it meant you were always trying to be somebody else if it was your duty to be discontented could you escape envy was it not necessary if you were to keep yourself up to the effort to feed yourself on envy as in war men must be fed on hate if they are to kill with vigour and gusto it was too much to believe that the content the fidelity to the job were universal nevertheless it was sufficient to cement the laborious poor into a powerful and recognized class a class with traditions customs recognized relations to other classes having its own manner of homes amusements worship a class self-respecting jealous of its prerogatives and able in need to protect itself but the multitude of hard-working and fairly satisfied men and women were not all the poor with whom i came close there were those who could find no work there were many of them for the long world depression of the nineties was on its way the winter of ninety one and ninety two was a cruel one and the museums libraries lecture-rooms churches where i went about my daily duties were swarmed with poor souls trying to deceive the guardians into thinking that they had come to study pictures read books listen to lectures to confess their sins or listen to mass the guardians only saw them when they became a crowd or attempted to camp for the day most pathetic to me were their efforts to make furtive toilets taking a comb from a pocket to smooth tangled hair 
scissors to cut the fringe from a frayed cuff there were soup kitchens to keep them from starving though many a one starved or froze or ended his misery in the seine that winter at one of these kitchens i officiated for a brief time it was run by the mccall mission in the faubourg st antoine i was not there as a samaritan but as a reporter looking for copy what could i do for them but tell americans what a few americans were doing in paris to ease the vast misery it might bring a few sous for soup i believe it did but they pulled less strongly on my sympathy than a class of the poor which i found to be in our quarter men and women no longer young past the employing age who lived alone on tiny incomes sometimes the fruit of their own past thrift sometimes an inheritance again the gift of a friend i watched and speculated about how they did it the more seriously because i asked myself if the day might be coming when i should belong to this class if i ever did i hoped i could carry it off with as much dignity as the one called the countess on our street she lived sous les toits in a high house opposite me a tall erect white-haired woman in a gown and cape of faded and patched silk which still showed its quality as did its wearer more than once i watched her stop late at night at the garbage can on the sidewalk opposite turning over its contents many of the tradespeople seemed to feel that she honored them when she came in to buy an occasional egg or apple she was so gracious so completely grande dame one day i heard the woman from whom i bought my cafe au lait say will not madame honor me by trying my coffee it is still hot she was pouring out a cup as she said it and the countess with a benignant smile said if that will give you pleasure my good marie she needed it marie knew that but marie was more than paid by that smile it is a great honor she told me lest being a foreigner i did not understand the countess to have so great a lady come into one's shop there it was again another standard than money the standard of class breeding cultivation the grand manner the more i saw of the gallant poor of paris the more convinced i was if they could get on so could i learning to live on what i could make and i was going to make something my doubt about that was set at rest some six weeks after my arrival when i received a check for my first syndicate article five dollars it was quickly followed by checks from two more of the six papers to which i had submitted my syndicate proposition fifty per cent was not a bad percentage and they were good papers the pittsburgh dispatch the cincinnati times star and the chicago tribune these three papers remained faithful to me until the election of eighteen ninety two compelled them to give all their space to politics so they explained i believed them for they had all written me kind letters about my stuff and the time star unsolicited raised my pay to seven dollars fifty cents then the unbelievable happened in december a little less than three months after my arrival in paris scribner's magazine accepted a story a grand christmas present indeed that news fiction was not in the plan but one of the first pieces of work i did after arriving in paris was a story born of a delightful relationship with an old french dyer of titusville monsieur claude 
as soon as i had finally determined that i would burn all bridges and go to paris for study i had set about my preparation in thorough fashion there was the language i had read it fluently for years but speak it no could i master enough in the few months i had before sailing to find my way about if so i must have someone to talk with the best the town afforded was m claude and his mouse-like wife they were flattered by my request three times a week i went and we talked and studied until they both were sure i could make myself understood in common matters in this delightful association i discovered that the passion of m claude the longing of his heart was to see france before he died he had insisted that i learn and almost daily repeat beranger's france adorée once in paris i understood him wrote his story sent it a trial balloon to scribner's magazine the selection was made on a principle which young writers too rarely consider when they attempt to place their wares and that is an understanding of the tastes and prejudices and hobbies of periodicals useless in eighteen ninety to send a story on france adorée to a magazine which was interested purely and simply in realistic literature but the inexperienced writer frequently does not realize that naturally i had learned in my work on the chautauquan something of the pet interests of the leading publishing houses i knew that scribner's enjoyed french cultivation french character french history i hoped my sentimental title france adore would not antagonize the editor of scribner's magazine but i had expected nothing from it being in that state of mind where i had ceased to expect only to accept so that when i received a friendly letter from mr burlingame the editor of the magazine saying that he liked the story that he accepted it i felt as one must who suddenly draws a fortune in the sweepstakes in due time a check for one hundred dollars arrived what excitement in our little salon when i showed my companions that check now declared our beautiful mary we can move to the champs-elysees and she would have done it for she was one of those who always see spring in a single sparrow we stayed where we were i requiring a whole flock of sparrows to convince me that it was spring the influence of the story on my fortunes was all out of proportion to its value most important was the courage it gave me if i a stranger could do something that a great editor of a great magazine thought good enough to accept why after all i might work it out that which moved me most deeply gave me joy that made me weep was that now i should have something to show to my family i had felt a deserter times were hard in the titusville household in these early nineties my father's and brother's experiences in the oil business of which i want to speak later were more than discouraging they were alarming my sister was ill and in the hospital my mother's letters were saturated with anxiety and here was i the eldest child in the family a woman of years and of some experience who had been given an education whose social philosophy demanded that she do her part in working out family problems here was i across the ocean writing picayune pieces at a fourth of a cent a word while they struggled there i felt guilty and the only way i had kept myself up to what i had undertaken was the hope that i could eventually make a substantial return 
if any one of the family felt that i should have been at home there was never a hint of it from them i had unwavering sympathy and encouragement but if in three months time i could do what i had done and i made the most of it in my letters home why then they would see some hope for the future not only would the story help them to believe in me it would give something more imposing to show to inquiring friends than the newspaper articles which had been their only exhibit when the story appeared in the following spring the reverberations in my paris circle were encouraging and useful i even heard of it from the other side as we called the right bank for theodore stanton at that time the head of the associated press in paris came with mrs stanton to call on me and tell me he liked the story the most important fruit was that mr burlingame looked me up when he made his annual spring visit to europe here was my chance to tell him about madame roland to ask if he thought his house would be interested in such a biography if it turned out to be a good piece of work the suggestion would have to be considered in new york he replied but he promised me it would be considered and it was for not long afterwards he wrote me that the house was interested in my project certainly wanted to see the manuscript this was enough to settle finally a struggle that had tormented me for many weeks i had come to paris determined to fit myself for magazine work along historical and biographical lines but once close to the world of the scholar surrounded by men and a few women who lived stern self-denying lives in order to master a field however small i was seized with an ambition to be a scholar it was a throwback to my old passion for the microscope i would specialize in the french revolution i would become a professor but mr burlingame's answer to my inquiry as to whether the scribner company would be friendly to a biographical study of my lady settled the matter which shows i take it how shallow my scholarly ambitions really were the scribner connection was not the only one putting heart into me among my early trial balloons was one marked for mcclure's syndicate new york city it carried an article of two thousand words with a catchy title the king of paris cribbed from a french newspaper it was the story of jean alphand and his services to the city the balloon reached its destination the article was promptly accepted with a promise of ten dollars when it was published also a suggestion that they would be glad to consider other subjects if i had them to offer which i did indeed i gave them no time to forget me not that they took all i hustled across the atlantic but they took enough to make me feel that this might be a stable and prosperous market for short and timely articles when suggestions finally began to come from them i felt the ground firmer on my feet one of these suggestions led me into an especially attractive new field and in the long run had an important bearing on my major interest madame roland it was that i try a series of sketches of french women writers there was a respectable group of them and i asked nothing better than to look them up i began with a woman who at that time was introducing leading contemporary english and american writers to the french through the revue de du monde madame blanc her pen name theodore benson a person of rare distinction and of gallant soul she had been a lady-in-waiting at napoleon the third's court had made an unfortunate marriage was now living on a small income and what she could earn by writing 
in her salon there was a portrait taken in her young womanhood which charmed me but when i spoke of it she shook her head as if she did not want to remember it une femme qui n'existe plus she said hard worker as madame blanc was she found time to start me on my rounds among the french women writers i doubt if there was an american writer of our day who would have had both the kindness of heart and the sureness of herself to take so much trouble for an unknown woman she started me off and i turned out ten or a dozen little pieces before i was through with one of my subjects i had an amusing flirtation i think i may call it a flirtation this was madame de la foy who with her husband had done eminent work in archaeology and who had a room full of exhibits in the louvre to her credit a very great person indeed madame de la foy was the only woman i had ever seen at that time who wore men's clothes it had been found necessary to put her into trousers for excavating work and she liked them so well and monsieur de la foy loved her so in them that they obtained permission from the french government for her to wear them in paris from more than one source i heard of the sensation she created among servants when she came to call they abandoned their duties to peep from dark places at the woman in men's clothes madame de la foy and i grew friendly over the history of the exploits of women in the world and it took no time at all for me to decide to write the history of women from eve up as if i had not already enough on my hands she applauded my idea gave me many suggestions but it never went any further than my few visits which as i say were more or less flirtations she was such a pretty little man so immaculate the best tailors in paris did her i was told that i could not keep admiring eyes off her she used her eyes too and loved to pat me on the knee partly i suppose because i always blushed when she did it it was an amusing acquaintance and a profitable one to me for she was as interested in my plans for articles as if i had been one of her own another woman who interested me greatly was judith gautier my interest was stirred by my indignation that her name had been left off the list of living women distinguished in french literature sent to the chicago exposition of eighteen ninety three there was much speculation among my friends as to how it happened my own conclusion was that it was because of her long and impassioned devotion to the music of richard wagner the first wagner opera to be given in paris was tannhauser this was in the early sixties when judith gautier was about fourteen years old she went to the opera with her father theophile gautier and was enthusiastic although the house received it coldly as they were walking home a little fellow with hollow cheeks eagle nose and very bright eyes joined them he rejoiced with cheerful violence over the failure of the opera the girl angered forgot her manners and blurted out it is clear sir that you know you have heard a masterpiece and that you are talking of a rival do you know who that was saucebox her delighted father asked as they passed on no who hector berlioz it was the beginning of a lifelong devotion wagner was to her not only the master musician but a species of divinity in eighteen eighty two she published a volume on him valuable for its reminiscences early in the winter of eighteen ninety two lohengrin was announced for the season of grand opera 
i was amazed at the loud and bitter protests among the few lovers of wagner who had courage to come to the defence of the master was judith gautier she was abused for it as this was my first realization that political hatred ever influences the judgment in matters of art i took the incident very much to heart i could understand why people might dislike wagnerian music but that the soldier should be called out to protect the opera house when one of his greatest works was to be given shocked me you could then so hate an enemy that beauty herself was outraged it was easy for me to conclude that judith gautier's name had been left off the list of writing women sent to the chicago exposition because the committee wanted to punish her for defending the works of a great artist in whom she profoundly believed the opening up of opportunities so much more quickly than i had dared dream spurred me to longer and harder hours at work there were few mornings that i was not at my desk at eight o'clock there were few nights that i went to bed before midnight and there was real drudgery in making legible copy after my article was written it was all done by longhand careful and painstaking handwriting it was i was to find later that mr mcclure's partner in the syndicate mr j s phillips trying to estimate the possibilities in this correspondent bombarding them with articles and suggestions set me down from my handwriting as a middle-aged new england schoolteacher but if life was hard and life was meagre and if down at the bottom of my heart it was continuously in question to which class of the poor i would finally belong life to my surprise was taking on a varied pattern very different from the drab existence of hard work and self-denial that i had planned and was prepared to endure to the end it began at the rue de somerard where at the outset we stumbled on what turned out to be the most colourful unusual and frequently perplexing association that had ever come the way of any one of us when we took our rooms from madame bonnet she had told us that one room in the apartment was reserved for an egyptian prince who came only for the weekends he was bien comme il faut très riche très everything desirable he would not disturb us we might never see him upon inquiry we discovered that all madame bonnet's rooms save those we were taking were occupied by egyptian students of law or medicine or diplomacy the prince himself a cousin of the khedive was in the military school at st cyr he kept a room at madame bonnet's to spend an occasional holiday or sunday with his compatriots all of his age and all of the upper classes we all shared the american flutter over titles and when we caught a first glimpse of the prince and his friends we were still more excited they were quite the most elegant-looking male specimens so far as manners and clothes went that any one of us had ever seen here was more in the way of flavour than we had bargained for we had come to study the french and had dropped into an egyptian colony we soon discovered that they were as curious about us as we were about them for hardly were we settled when madame bonnet came to say that the messieurs were all in her salon wouldn't we come in and make their acquaintance of course we went they wanted us to dance now it was sunday and we had all been brought up under the methodist discipline sunday was a day of rest and worship and no play 
no amusement of any kind in my household at least i was supposed to play only hymns on the piano as we were supposed to read only religious books my mother and i compromised at last on gottschalk's last hope she being moved by the story of its composition thought that it must be religious but martha and poet and peasant my two other show-pieces were forbidden indeed when i was forty years old my father catching me reading a volume of a certain congressional trust investigation on a sunday afternoon reproved me in his gentle way you shouldn't read that on sunday ida i quickly exchanged it for pilgrim's progress which is not without suggestion for a student of the trust my young companions were particularly shocked at the egyptian's invitation to dance i think it had never occurred to them that all people did not keep sunday no we said a little severely we don't dance on sunday i had the satisfaction of hearing them whisper soberly to one another très religieuse it was just as well i thought that they should have that idea to start with better than starting with the degree of intimacy they might see in our dancing in their landlady's salon on a first meeting but we had what was for us an exciting evening and when we left and they all begged come again we promised that we would End of chapter six part one